You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Y'all ready for the word this morning? We're on part two of Let Us Pray. Scotty picked, uh, kicked it off last week. Um, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to get this book, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Gregg. Um, he's the one who launched the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, I think it's happening in like 130 different nations now. And it, it, they're literally prayer rooms where it has not stopped, like 24-7. They're just constantly, constantly, constantly in prayer. Um, and so I would encourage you to get this. We, we are pretty much going to follow the outline of this book. So if you have got it, you've been reading it like, well, whatever, you know, Ryan's saying up there sounds very familiar. Yes, because it's in this book. I'm just sort of adding to and, and sort of bringing some life to some of the points that are in this book. Amen? So um, the other day, uh, for those of you who don't know, my apologies beforehand. I don't always talk about my workouts, but I need to today. Um, the other day, I know, I get, I get it, but you'll you follow me. Just, you know, help me for a moment. The other day, I, I go to a gym where we do constantly varied uh, high-intensity movements and workouts. It's called CrossFit, if you haven't heard of it. If you, if you don't know somebody, if you know somebody, how do you know a CrossFitter and a vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. That's, that's how it goes, right? So, uh, it was a bad joke. The other day, we were doing a workout. And there are a lot of workouts in CrossFit that require skill sets. Like, like if you don't have the skill, good luck, buddy. Um, and this was one of those days. They're called double unders. So it's with a jump rope. And instead of doing just a normal, anybody do jump roping, normal jump roping, you do twice. You have to hit the ropes. Got to go through twice before you land on the ground. It's called double unders. Penguin. Right? At the top. Okay. Double unders is a skill set. And I don't think that single under, some skill sets, like if you do a simpler version, they help you get the, the more complex version. I don't think single unders help you get double unders, personally. Some people may, I don't. We warmed up with a bunch of single unders, and we go into this workout, and it's for time, which is always in the back of my mind, like the clock is ticking, and I'm trying to beat the clock and everybody else in the room. And anybody else who shows up later in the day, because there's a whole, you know, there's a whole leaderboard. I'm trying to be on the leaderboard. I, I'm a type A, if you didn't know. It's me. I'm competitive. And I've done double unders. I, I have double unders. Like, I've learned the skill of double unders. And I've put together 50 without unbroken double unders, even up to 100 unbroken double unders. So I feel like, oh, this is my workout. I'm going to row. I've been rowing 2,000 meters every single day. I'm going to kill this row. Double unders, got them, no problem. Some push-ups, it's all good. Let's go. I'm going to whoop everybody in this class. That was, not, that was not what happened. <laughs> that is not how it went down. I got to the double unders, which was the very first thing. You're supposed to be 75 double unders, four rounds, 75 double unders, 500 meters on the rower, and then 25 hand release push-ups, four rounds. I get to my first set of double unders, and, and you know, ideally I want to do them in unbroken, but if I can do them in two reps, it's great, two sets of whatever. Two, miss. When you miss a double under, those thin ropes, they whip you, like welt you. Two more, miss. What is going on, Ryan? Come on, hands in. You know, I'm trying to tell my, I'm trying to coach myself. Four, okay, here we go. Ten, okay. Listen, that day, it was my worst double under day of my life. I was the last one to finish out of everybody. Watching everybody finish, they're laying on the floors. I'm still trying, I'm whipping myself with the rope. Um, at the most, I got, I cycled like at the most 20 double unders unbroken out of 75. One time. Every other time it was like twos and fours. Extremely frustrating. Extre the clock is ticking. I am just, I, I can get frustrated at times. I was frustrated. And I just kept going. There was a moment where I was like, I'm just going to throw the rope. Just throw the rope. <laughs> I was going to say throw the rope down. But really, I just want to throw the rope. I'll just throw the rope and just ignore it. I'll just, I'll come back to it some other time, right? But I didn't. I finished the workout. I have this thing in my head. I just don't, just keep going for it. And I did. And um, you're like waiting, like, so did you go back and did it get better? Like, no. <laughs> 
the coach was like, hey, before you leave, maybe try 150 of them, see if you can just get a no clock, no need to worry. So I go over, I try them, didn't work. I just put the rope away for the day, I'm done. I'm just moving, I'm leaving now, goodbye. And I was thinking about that because we were talking about prayer. And um, I was thinking about that in regards to prayer because that oftentimes is how I feel with my prayer life. That sometimes I can go into my prayer room or my, my quiet time and I can be there for an hour and the only thing that I'm thinking about is God and his word and his presence and it's just like this unbroken communication and communion with the Lord, just smooth and beautiful and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I gotta go. Like I've been in here for an hour. I gotta roll. And there are other times when I go into my prayer time or my quiet time and it seems like I can't even get 30 seconds into it and my mind is telling me about all the things that need to be done and all, it's continually being broken up by stuff that is happening in my life. I mean, I think it's safe we can assume a couple of things, right, that all of us know about prayer, right? All of us have a basic working understanding and knowledge about what prayer is and all of us also probably know, we can assume all of us probably know or we can assume that we know that we should pray. And this kind of plays out like anytime somebody gets in a real bind, what do they do? Pray. God, it might even just be like, God, help me, right? But that's a prayer. And so we all sort of have this, this working knowledge that not only we know what prayer is, but we also know that we probably should. We have a basic understanding of the personal benefits of prayer. That's why when times get tough, we tend to turn to the divine. We tend to turn to God. But the questions I, want, I was asking myself this week, and, and as we talk about this, why do we find prayer sometimes so difficult? Anybody ever ask that question? Like, why when we attempt to pray, does everything we have ever needed to do come rushing into our minds? Like, what gives? Sometimes my prayer time can be as smooth, unbroken, unhindered fellowship with the Lord. 100 double unders, no problem. And then sometimes I feel like I can't even get 30 seconds or two minutes without interruption after interruption after interruption. And not just my phone alerting me about something, but just my mind going insane about every other thing. I want a little quiet time with the Lord and all of a sudden I'm trying to figure out how is it that Elon Musk figured out how to send a rocket into space straight up and bring it straight back down and land it on a barge in the ocean. Has anybody ever thought about that? I'm Right, my quiet time, I'm like, how did he even think to get the mathematics to make that work? I'm not a math guy. so But why am I doing this in my prayer time? I can't even do this in my most focused moments. And in my prayer time, I'm trying to figure out how Elon figured this out. Anybody else? It just, all of a sudden, I'm invaded with every other thing except for the quiet time with the Lord. So I have confessions that sometimes my moments of prayer are deep and sometimes my moments of prayer are really, really distracted. Anybody been there? Abraham Heschel said this. He said, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. And I want to just bring us to a place where we think about this idea of what prayer looks like in our lives. Those quiet times sometimes are a real struggle, but listen, we, we need to see prayer as what it is. And, and oftentimes we align prayer up as this really hard task that must be done. I mean, if I'm a Christian, I have a task of quiet times or a task of prayer in the morning. And Abraham Heschel sort of reframes this idea that, no, this is sort of a response, this humble answer to this idea of this inconceivable surprise of this life that God has blessed us with. And, and in reframing sometimes what prayer looks like, it might help us. It's not going to eliminate those dry moments. It's not going to eliminate those distracted moments. But it might help us uh, reframe in our own hearts to where it draws us into a deeper place of prayer regularly. 
And we talk about prayer, there's a couple things I want you to realize that I also need to be reminded of and to realize, and that is this, that God is not judging your prayers. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, God, you probably think I'm a moron, right? God is not judging your prayers. He's not grading your prayers. God wants to spend time with you. That's good news. You're not bothersome. Not only is he not judging your prayers, it's not bothersome when you come to him with your prayers. He wants to spend time with you more than you want to spend time with him. Amen? He wants, he desires, he longs to be with us. God is not intimidated or frustrated by your amateur attempts or your unbelief. So God's not like, oh, come on. Can't you get, you try to recite the Lord's prayer? He's like, oh, come on. That's not how it was. Don't you know I spoke in King James? Right? Like, you forgot thou, our Lord who art. Why didn't you use art? He's not doing that. He's not being critical of what's going on. He's not frustrated because we are, we are stumbling over our words or even stumbling over our time, distracted. He's not frustrated with that. Um, he's not intimidated by our unbelief, our struggles to believe him at what he says when we bring our prayers. Like, I have requests, God, and I'm not even sure that you can deal with my requests. That doesn't intimidate him. It's like, oh, no, so now what am I going to do? If you don't believe, how do I do? You know, this hinders me now. He's not hindered by those things. He's not intimidated by your wrestling with his presence or wrestling with his word or wrestling with uh, the ethics that the scripture talks about. He's not, he's not intimidated by those things. I love it that he calls Thomas to himself. Thomas, who says to the other disciples, until I see it, until I've had the opportunity to, to experience this resurrected Jesus the same way that you have. Notice I didn't call him Doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, I want to see it. I want to touch it. I want to have the same experience of this resurrected Jesus that you've had. And then I will believe. And Jesus said, Thomas, come here. Touch. See. Embrace me, right? God's not intimidated by our wrestling with belief. And so we're going to, uh, or lastly, that God delights in you. I, I want us to recognize, realize, remind ourselves, God delights in you. All of these things are important to think about and remember and recognize in regards to prayer. So if I feel like God doesn't delight in me, if I feel like God feels like I'm a nuisance to him, then the likelihood that I'm going to go into his presence, the likelihood that I'm going to enjoy his presence is pretty small. So i got to recognize that God wants to be with me. God's not intimidated by my struggles. That God delights in me. And God's not judging this time. He's not grading the time that we're together. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 uh, for the next few weeks because this is where we find the Lord's Prayer, or the, at least the Lord's Prayer that we're going to walk through. And uh, today's sort of setting the stage for the rest of the weeks where we'll actually walk through different elements of the Lord's Prayer. But Luke chapter 11, and we're just going to be in verse 1 today, and it says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. A couple of things that I want us to draw to this to set the stage for the entire series. First thing is this. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. A certain place. Jesus often arose early. He often made his way to certain places to pray. Places of silence and solitude. Places away from the masses so that he could get alone in the presence of the Father and have communion with the Father. It was after one of these moments when he came back from that, the disciples said, seeing him, probably better rendered seeing the habit of Jesus doing this, saying to him, or teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Jesus had a habit of going away 
to a certain place to pray. Now, we can pray everywhere and we can pray somewhere. First of all, let's talk about praying everywhere. Uh, God is omnipresent. Amen. Means he's everywhere all the time, no matter what. He's everywhere. There's no place that God is not accessible. Okay? So I don't want us to get into the mindset of think I, I can only pray in a certain place. That's not true. God is available any place. Okay? Prayer knows no bounds. Prayer is not limited by time and space. God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. At any moment, we can call out to God and he is there. Right? I mean, Scripture tells us that we should pray without ceasing. This is the idea that we should be in constant communion, constant awareness of the presence of God. That's what praying without ceasing means, that I can continually just be in communion and fellowship with the Lord. So everywhere that I go, prayer is available to me. Prayer is accessible to me. This is particularly great when there's an emergency that happens. A couple weeks ago, uh, my daughter-in-law and my wife, um, we were doing Andrew Farrington's wedding, and they went to go dr- deliver some things to the hotel in downtown Portland. As they were driving through the intersection with the green light, a young girl on her cell phone blew right through a red light, T-boned my wife and my daughter-in-law, and uh, Josiah comes up to me where the, the reception has just started at the wedding. He's like, we got to go. Uh, Mom and, and Joss are in, a, in an accident. Okay, so immediately in emergency, we just start praying. Lord, you get in the car. We're driving. As I'm driving, I'm praying. It's always accessible. Prayer is always available to us no matter where we are. And it does not, un, does not know time or bound to space. It's not bound by these things. That's good news. Amen. Uh, David G. Benner, the uh, Canadian psychologist, said this, prayer is the soul's native language. Our natural posture is a tentative openness to the divine. So, so we have this sort of natural posture. I think that the Ecclesiastes says this, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. But there's this sort of vacuum in every single one of us that longs for the divine. And so the natural posture of our hearts is really longing for something bigger than ourselves. And prayer tends to connect us to that thing. And so it's not, it's not about a specific place always. It's available anywhere. Now, with that being said, that we can pray anywhere or everywhere, we should find a way to pray somewhere. Just because God is accessible and omnipresent everywhere doesn't mean that that eliminates then our certain places, the places, the somewhere that we set up as a place to meet with the Lord. The children of Israel had it when they were traveling through the wilderness. It was called the tent of meeting just outside of their encampment. And every time Moses would go to the tent of meeting, all of the children of Israel would recognize and they would come to the doors of their tents and they would worship the Lord as Moses met with the Lord in the tent of meeting. Now, he could have met with the Lord in his own tent, but he made a pilgrimage outside of the camp, a specific certain place to meet with the Lord. And I think that we, too, should have certain places where we pray. Yes, we can pray everywhere, but we should get in the habit of praying somewhere. There's something powerful about certain places where God can and does fill the actual space itself, the room itself. Uh, The Celtic Christians, you'll find this in the book, the Celtic Christians would call these places thin places. What do they mean by that? They mean that there's this, because this prayer is continual in this place, or this is the, there's a residual effect that the veil between heaven and earth begins to become thinner and thinner and thinner. There's just something about it that when I sit in that chair in the morning before anybody else gets up, that there's just in this quiet, in this silence, in this solitude, in this certain place, there's an ability to access the presence of God, to commune with God in a way that other places don't provide me. Thin places. Maybe you've never experienced a thin place. That's okay. Let's work on creating a place where it becomes a thin place where the presence of God becomes real and tangible to us. 
So remember, we're in a series about prayer. We're in a year about formation. And we want to be formed by prayer. And the only way that we can be formed by prayer is if we allow it to be a place of his presence. Not just working through, checking off to-do lists of I prayed, but really seeking a place where I can meet with the Lord. A thin place. Sacred places where the residual presence of God dwells. Where's your sacred place? Where's your sacred space? There's a story in the book about a businessman who was challenging Pete about this idea of thin places. And Pete said, well, just, I'm paraphrasing this story a lot, but just, you should just try it. And so what he began to do is he began to get up early in the morning and sit in a chair, a rocking chair, I believe, that looked out the window, and he would just read his Bible and commune with the Lord before everybody else got up. Made a habit, week after week, month after month, year after year. And later in his life, he passed away, and they were talking to, um, I believe it was his widow, and she was talking about that chair and the fact that that chair has now been empty. But I loved what she said about the, sh- the chair itself. She said, I cannot wait to tell his grandkids about the story of that chair and pass it on to them so that it can become their sacred place. I thought, what a beautiful story to be able to say, your grandfather used to sit and rock in this chair and read and commune with the Lord. Here is a thin place for you. Sit and read and commune with the Lord as well. That's powerful. Where is your place? Um, in the book, it talks about Susanna Wesley. I'm going to talk a little bit more about her in a few moments, but she was the mother of Methodism. Um, what's interesting, she had t- 10 children. She actually, she had 19. She lost nine. She's raising 10 children. She's homeschooling them, Sunday school. Um, her husband is just a wretch. Um, and she's doing it by herself. And so her sacred place, her thin place, was at the kitchen table. And she would take her apron and she would pull it up over her head. And when she did that, all of the kids knew, leave mom alone, she's meeting with the Lord. That's how simple a sacred place can be. A thin place can be. Just a mother trying to do the best for her children and the Lord taking probably a dirty apron and pulling it over her head to meet with Jesus. Then places, pray somewhere. Wherever your sacred space is, I want to encourage you to visit that place daily. That's how it becomes a thin place, that you find a way to get to that prayer place daily. Praying somewhere daily might not be an hour. It might be 10 minutes, but can you get there every day for 10 minutes? Can you get to that place? It can be your commute to work. Turn off. I mean, it might be a little distracting. I close my eyes and lift my hands while I'm driving. By your spirit, Lord, get me to work. (laughs) Even when I don't see it, you're working. It can be in your commute. It can be a walk. Maybe you, maybe you need to be out in the fresh air and moving. I totally get that. Like some people can't sit still when they're doing it. Totally fine. Find a somewhere and visit it daily and let it become a thin place. Jesus went to certain places of silence and solitude away from everybody else so that he could commune with the Lord. Remember Jesus once said, look, anything you see me doing, I only do what I hear the Father saying. That's a beautiful intimacy between the two. I only do, I'm only saying what he's saying. I'm only doing what he's telling me to do. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. These were all the things that Jesus would say. And that wasn't just because he was the Son of God. Yes, he was the Son of God. It was also because he would take time to go and sit with the Father. Mark 1.35 tells us that Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, would get up, leave the house, and go off to a solitary place to pray. It's all throughout the Gospels. We read about Jesus' life over and over again. And so Jesus comes back from the certain place that he would go to pray, and as he's coming back, one of the disciples recognizes him. He says, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And this is what I know I need more than anything. My prayer is, Lord, teach me to pray. Sometimes I feel so inept in my prayer room. Sometimes I feel so distracted. Sometimes I wonder why I even showed up. It's like my workout the other day. I'm like, why did I even come today? I looked at it. I thought, I'm going to kill it. I showed up and it killed me. Why am I even here? I look foolish. I feel foolish. Right? I need him to teach me. We need him to teach us. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They spent so much time with Jesus, but they noticed that Jesus had this specific prayer life, this specific practice that was different than theirs. So they asked him for help. They asked him, teach us to pray. Jesus doesn't respond to them with frustration or some sort of condescending tone. What do you mean? You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me multiply fish and bread. You've seen, you know what I'm saying? You've seen me walk on water. Like, how are you not getting this yet? Why are you asking this dumb question? He doesn't respond with any of those things. What does he do? He teaches them the most powerful prayer in the history of the world what is known as the Lord's Prayer or Our Father. And I love what Archbishop Justin Welby said about the Lord's Prayer. He said, the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. And this is true. Now, I come from a tradition. I've been... Born again for 30 years now. And in, in my tradition, where I come from, it was charismatic and um, you know, fly by the seat of your pants sort of mentality, and sort of shunned the idea of reciting prayers, that prayers should sort of always be spontaneous. And as I've grown in my faith and learned to recognize that there are other people besides charismatics that love Jesus. <laughs> Crazy. And have allowed myself by the Spirit to be taught some of those. I begin to recognize how powerful it is to oftentimes recite prayers. That prayers that have been written and thought through, to read them and recite them together. And so when I was growing up, we were always taught that the Lord's Prayer was not intended to be recited, that it was sort of a model or a way in which to pray. And I want to propose to you that it is both. That there is power in reciting the Lord's Prayer and that it is also a sort of a model or a structure in which we can pray and seek the Lord. Uh, we're going to get into this in more depth um, as we move through this book, but just in short overview, um, we're going to recite it in a moment together, but in short overview, it, I mean, it opens up with this Our Father idea, which is about intimate relationship with God. And so, yes, there's beauty in reciting it, but also recognizing that there is a, a form to this. There's a way in which we should approach the Lord, and it's as our Father, that it's with this relational, familial intimacy with God. Lord, hallowed be thy name is to, to recognize and revere that he is God and great and good and I am not God. That he deserves glory and honor and majesty because he is the creator of all things, right? And so yes, I recite it and also I recognize it as I approach him intimately as my father. I revere him as the creator and the one true God over all. Amen. Let's take a moment this morning, and let's recite this prayer together. It's going to be on the screen. It's kind of hard to read. Uh, we were working on that. It'll be better next week. It says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You got, let's try this again. You guys with me? And a one, two, three. No, let's do it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll get better at that. It's my fault. You can't even read that. I actually changed it and forgot to upload it. Praise the Lord. I just realized that. It would be good. Jesus teaches to pray. He doesn't respond with frustration or condescending tones. He teaches them this prayer. He says, okay, when you pray, pray like this. I want to challenge you, if you haven't already, many of you probably have, if you haven't already, to memorize this. It's not hard. Memorize this so that you can pray it, so that you can say it. I know some people that try to pray three times a day, so they'll get up in the morning and do real deep prayer, and then at noon, they'll just do this. They'll just pray this prayer. Their alarm goes off at noon. They say, it says, our Father, or whatever. Boom, it goes off at noon. It says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me of my debts if I forgive those who sinned against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Deep breath. Go on about my day. If you have it memorized, and obviously if you were trying to read and follow along, you're like, hey, he's throwing this off a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Make it personal. It's all good. Do it in King James if you'd like. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Right? That's okay. However it works for you. But I would encourage you to begin to memorize this. So Jesus answers with this very, very simple prayer. And I want to talk a few things about this. When they said, teach us to pray, three things that the book lines out that we're kind of walking through. The first thing is this, that when we pray, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Silly. I don't like to call people stupid. Keep it simple, silly. In the original language, this Lord's Prayer, our Father, is actually only 31 words long. And they believed that in the original language, or the original, it, it rhymed, so it was easier to remember. Like some of you guys, can, you, some of you guys have all that rap music uh, memorized, I see you, um, because it rhymes, and so it's easy for you to just like, your hands go up and you just quickly like it happens. That's originally, in the original language, what the Lord's Prayer sort of did. It rhymed, and so it made it very easy in 31 words to remember this prayer that Jesus gave them as an answer to teach us to pray. So when you pray, pray this way. Keep it simple. I think uh, too often we think that it requires sort of long, overcomplicated, and super spiritual prayers. We don't need long, complicated, over-spiritual prayers. Now, the Lord might not be judging your prayers, but I might be. Um, (laughs) And what I've found is when I get around people and we start praying together and they start getting really weird with their prayers and using large words and super spiritual ideas, just you know, you're just like, what are you even saying? This doesn't even make sense. It's probably because they're overcompensating for the fact that they haven't been praying much to begin with. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus says, look, when you pray, pray this way. And he gives them 31 words of a simple, simple, rhyming prayer. It doesn't need to be long and over-spiritual, over-complicated Matter of fact, Jesus warns against this idea of these long, drawn-out, overcomplicated, super spiritual prayers. He actually told uh, the people, like, don't be like the Pharisees who like to go stand on the street corners and they like to d- recite these prayers and make this big show out of their prayers. Everybody, like, look how spiritual that guy is. Like, don't be like. And Jesus wasn't opposed to praying in public. Some people think he's opposed to praying in public. He's not. He's opposed to making a big spectacle. Spectacle words spectacle of yourself 
in public to make people think you're really spiritual by your prayers. He warns against that. There's no need to impress anybody. There's no showmanship in prayer. Uh, I love what Matthew 6, 7, and 8 says in the message, and this is also in Matthew before he does the Lord's Prayer, but he says this, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. Brother Eugene, God rest his soul, he really knew how to put it together. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Amen. Keep it simple. Secondly, keep it real. Keep it real. Don't fake it till you make it. I grew up on that statement. Fake it till you make it. How do we read our Bible? Well, fake it till you make it. How do you pray? Well, fake it till you make it. How do you worship? Fake it till you make it. Well, I don't even know. That's nonsense. Don't do that. Be real. Be authentic. There's no need. I, have, I actually have it in my notes. There's no need for King James English. You ever been around those people and they start praying and all of a sudden it turns into King James English? Like, what just happened? I told you I come from a charismatic background, like they would uh, give a, you know, prophecy, they would get up to prophesy, and all of a sudden, just average Joe, doesn't even have a college education, is speaking in King James English all of a sudden, to prophesy. It's more spiritual, it's God. Like, where should that, where did that accent come from? God. The Lord said, saith God. What? It's weird. Don't be weird. Just be you. Be authentic. Be real. Right? Keep it simple. Keep it real. I've been guilty of this. When I was younger in my faith, I thought there's certain ways you have to. There are people that literally sell books. They sell books that, that declare that you have to use all the, the, the longer the word or the more, um, I don't even know how to say it. That's how good I am with the English language. The, the more complicated the word is, or the smarter it sounds, the, the greater access you're going to have to his presence. They literally write books about this nonsense. Jesus didn't say that. Matter of fact, Jesus warned against that. He said, look, keep it simple and keep it real. Bring everything that you have to him because he can handle it. If you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're tired, if you're worn out, if you're excited, if you're hopeful, if you're thankful, bring it all. There's no need to wear a mask in his presence. Be real. He already knows. He's already seen. He knows the depths of your heart. He knows the words that are on uh, the, that are in your heart before they even make it out of your mouth. He, he, he knows it all. There's no need to hide. Just be real with him. He's aware of your deepest desires. I think Psalms shows us some pretty uh, raw prayers and pretty raw. If you read through the Psalms, I'm not going to read them all, but you read through them and you see like David just crying out like, man, my soul, why is my soul downcast today? I'm so irritated this morning. Like, like this is a prayer. God can handle that. I would rather you bring those to him. Being Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, it reminded me of... of Martin Luther wasn't necessarily always talking out in public about his own personal spiritual life, although he, it was clear that that was what was guiding and directing the things that he did. But let me just paraphrase one night in particular where he talks about his own prayer life um, that he wrote in one of his books. It was um, in January, I think, of 1956. It was fairly soon after the Rosa Parks incident, and they were um, banning the buses or boycotting the buses and trying to, to do all of that in Montgomery, Alabama. And the more that they were doing that, the, um, the, the people in Montgomery that were opposing them the, were sending death threats, calling and sending death threats regularly, up to 40 a day, they say, of death threats. You keep this up, you're going to die. One particular night, Martin had come home from a long day of protesting and doing all the things, planning and strategizing to, for all that they were doing. And um, kids were, wife was in bed and kids were in bed. And the phone rings, and he picks up the phone on the other line that says, if you care for your family's life, you need to get out of Montgomery immediately. It's another death threat. 
And um, he tells a story of that he hangs up the phone and he makes a pot of coffee and he sits down at the coffee table with his cup of coffee and he prays to God. In the account, he says, I was ready to give up with my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me. I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. You can hear the despair in his voice. This is what God longs from us, just to be real with him, to be honest with him. He goes on to write, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared, and I was ready to face anything. Other accounts say that he sort of heard this voice and said, you're never alone, Martin. You're not alone, Martin. You're never alone, Martin. This is what God calls us to, simple, real prayer times with him. I can't imagine the weight that he was carrying for this movement. And at his kitchen table, exhausted. I'm, I'm done. And God meets him in that place. Thomas Merton said, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. He doesn't want our games, our masks, our fake it till you make it facades. He wants us. Amen. Thirdly, keep it up. This year we're talking about formational practices this means we need to practice. That's what practice is. Regularly coming back. Keep it up. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. We need to create disciplines to remain faithful to the way of prayer. That means we need to learn how to pray when we don't feel like it. Come on, somebody. You're not going to wake up every single day and feel as if you're like, I'm going to take over the world. Let me go into my prayer closet for an hour first. I heard one man presenting an idea that no preacher is worth his salt unless he first spends four hours every morning in prayer. And I'm like, I'm not worth jack squat then. It's too big of a burden to carry. The scriptures don't teach that. They don't say that you have to be in your prayer closet for four hours to start your day. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. But it does talk about practices, being formed by prayer, finding the quiet place, the secret place, the solitude where you can meet with the Lord. And some days you don't feel like it. Some days I wake up and I'm like, I just don't feel like doing anything, honestly. Usually it's Monday. Oh, somebody's got a case of Mondays. Some days you wake up, you're like, I just don't want, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. That's where disciplines kick in, where we do it anyways. And I've often found the days I don't want to are the days that I generally have if I do. <laughs> Doesn't mean that I always do. Someone's, can we be real? Some days I don't want to, and I just don't. So I'm growing in my own practices. But the days I don't want to and I do, tend to be days where I really sense something powerful happening. That's what disciplines do for us. Amen. So many people don't experience the thin places because too quickly they just give up or they quit 
It was too difficult. It was like the double unders. Like I just, I can't, I can't figure it out. And because I can't figure it out, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to, I'm stopping. I'm so distracted. It's just not worth my time. I'm too busy. I have too much stuff going on. And so we quit and we never experience what it's like to be in a thin place with the Lord. Where heaven and earth seem as if they're one. Where the presence of God is so real to us. Because we're so quick to walk away, to quit, to give up. Find ways to make prayer easy and enjoyable. Daily reminders on your phone. Daily walks, maybe. Just find ways that you can make it easy. I, I told you this. I downloaded a new app called Lectio 365. And it, it's a part of the Lectio Divina, which is a, a way in which you can read Scripture and meditate on Scripture. And, and um, I have a Bible reading plan that I'm going through the Bible, you know, in a year, reading all the way through the Bible in a year, which I do regularly. But this is different. This, I actually just push play. And I just sit there with my eyes closed and they read every part of the devotional and they stop and there's music playing. They give time for you to sort of breathe and rest in the presence of God. And they read some more of the devotion. They read scripture. They read prayers. And it's just something new. It's just something I've, I've never tried it before. I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and let myself rest. I don't even have to pray. They're praying. I don't have to read. They're reading it. I'm just going to sit here and rest in this moment. Find ways to make it enjoyable. Find ways to make it repeatable. Find ways to help you involve yourself in that. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. I would encourage you to go to Luke 18, 1 and read it. It's a parable of the persistent widow. It's the, it's the widow that would not, she refused. She went to the judge daily until the judge would actually hear her case about what she needed in regards to justice. And Jesus is using this parable to say, this is how you should be in prayer. You should keep coming back. Don't quit. Be persistent in your prayers. Ask and seek. Knock and the door will be open, right? Everybody know that scripture? Ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened to you. In the original language, it, it, it reads like this. Ask and keep on asking until you have. Seek and keep on seeking until you find. Knock and keep on knocking until the door is open. It has this idea of continuing in those things. In the book, Pete Gregg says, delight without discipline eventually, inevitably, dissipates so we got to keep it up we got to discipline ourselves we might like excited january 1 i'm gonna pray every day that's good january 3 you got to start disciplining it starts to dissipate things start to get the excitement goes away now discipline kicks in amen the worship team can come i'm gonna read one last thing to you i know i'm a little bit longer than usual. But I do want to read about a hero of simple prayer, Susanna Wesley, if you don't know. She's the mother of Methodism. I mentioned her earlier uh, in this deal. But I want to read this quick excerpt for you about her. The health of Susanna Wesley, who is known as the mother of Methodism, was poor. Her marriage to a penniless preacher was deeply dysfunctional. And she lost nine children in infancy and raised ten more almost single-handedly. Their home was burned down twice. Her husband was imprisoned twice. And yet her simple, honest, persevering prayers undoubtedly changed the world. Susanna Wesley proved herself to be a formidable leader long before her sons John and Charles rose to fame. When her husband, the rector of Epworth Parish Church, was imprisoned for financial mismanagement and his replacement in the pulpit failed miserably to preach the gospel, Susanna took matters into her own hands. She launched a Sunday school in the kitchen for her children. But it began to attract so many of their neighbors that the meeting quickly reconvened in the barn. Before long, 200 people were gathering every Sunday to listen to Susanna reading sermons, to sing psalms, and to pray. Meanwhile, the church building nearby languished almost empty. Susanna gave her children six hours of schooling every day, educating her daughters the same as her sons, plus an additional hour a week of undivided attention with each one of them. How on earth 
did she do all this? Anybody have a little bit of anxiety about all of that? How on earth did she do all of this? How did she survive the loss of nine children and the heartbreak of a volatile marriage without becoming broken and bitter? And how did she manage such a frenetic household while also establishing a Sunday school and educating 10 children, two of whom would rise to the heights of international influence? Susanna Wesley was preeminently a woman of prayer. It was as she waited on the Lord each day that her strength was renewed again and again and again and again. But none of this was easy. There was nowhere at home she could go to hide to pray. So whenever Susanna wanted time with the Lord, she would pull her apron over her head. This was her prayer room, and her children knew that she was not to be disturbed. In this way, she would pour her heart out to God, mourning her lost babies, interceding for her infuriating husband, and praying for each of her children by name. Such simple maternal prayers whispered daily beneath an apron could hardly have been answered more powerfully. Susanna Wesley exemplifies the world-changing power of simple and persevering prayer. Finding herself called to make disciples, not of distant nations, but of her own little tribe at home, she applied herself to the task tirelessly. And by praying faithfully for those 10 children, Susanna Wesley, a housewife with a hard life from a small town in rural England, became the mother of some 80 million Methodists in more than 130 nations today. Just by being a mom who found her thin place under her apron, went to it regularly, and called out to the Lord. I hope that that encourages you as it did me. Lord, teach me to Teach me how to simply come into your presence and seek your face to meet with you. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a certain place, begin to ask the Lord, Lord, where should I create this certain place where I can meet with you that you might teach me how to pray? Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.